Chapter Three of One of My Sons by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three What a Door Hid. It was a startling declaration, and the horror it called up was visible on every face. But the surprise which should have accompanied it was lacking, and however quickly the three nearest the deceased man's heart strove to cover up their first instinctive acceptance of a fact so suggestive of hidden troubles, I could not but see that the prosperous stockbroker had had griefs, anxieties, or hopes to which this sudden end seemed to those who knew him best a natural sequence. I began to regret the chance which had brought me into such close relations with this family, and felt the closed envelope in my pocket weighing on my breast like lead. Meanwhile, he whom they called Leighton was saying in a highly strange tone, which he vainly endeavoured to make natural, May not Dr. Bennett be mistaken? There is the coral bottle on the shelf over the fireplace. We are not in the habit of seeing it there. Does not its presence in this room argue that father felt the need of it? Prussic acid can only be obtained through a doctor, and I am confident you never prescribed him such a dangerous drug, Dr. Bennett. No, for it is totally inapplicable to his case. But you will find that he died from taking it, Leighton. All his symptoms show it, and we have only to determine now whether he took it in the chloral, in the glass of wine he drank, or by means of some other agency not yet discovered. I regret to speak so unequivocally, but I never mince matters where my profession is concerned. And besides, the coroner would not show you this consideration, even if I did. The fact is too patent. They were now inside the study, and I did not hear Leighton's reply, but when they all came out again, I saw that the latter had not only accepted the situation, but that he had been informed of the part I had been called upon to play in this matter. This was apparent from the way he greeted me, and the questions he put concerning his child's conduct during the last terrible moments of her grandfather's life. As he did this, I had a fuller opportunity for studying his face. It was the most melancholy one I had ever seen, and what struck me as being worthy of remark was that this melancholy seemed a settled one, and quite apart from the present grief and disturbance. Yet he had been heavily shaken by his father's sudden, if not inexplicable, death, or appeared to be, which possibly is not quite the same thing. I do not understand why my father should have called anyone in from the street to witness his sufferings while he had sons in the house he courteously remarked. But, having felt this necessity, and having succeeded in obtaining such help, I am glad that chance favoured him and us with a person of such apparent good feelings as yourself. I scarcely heeded him. I was pondering over the letter, and whether I should pass it over to this man. But instinct withheld me, or rather my lawyer-like habits, which happily acted as a restraint upon my natural impulse. I had received no intimation as yet that it was intended for any of Mr. Gillespie's sons. "'You will oblige us by waiting for the coroner,' he now went on. "'He has telephoned that he will be here immediately.' "'I shall wait,' I said, and it was by his invitation I now stepped into the parlour. A quarter of an hour, a half-hour passed before the front door-bell rang again. From the hubbub which ensued, I knew that the man we wished for had arrived. But it was a long while before he entered the room in which I sat, during which tedious interim I had to possess my soul in patience. 
but at last I heard his step on the threshold, and looking up, I beheld a spare, earnest man who approached me with great seriousness, and sat down near enough to indulge in confidential talk without running the risk of being heard by any one. "'You are Mr. Uthwaite,' he began. "'I have heard of your firm, and have more than once seen Mr. Robinson. Had you any acquaintance with Mr. Gillespie or his family before to-night?' no sir mr gillespie was known to me only by reputation then it was pure chance which led you to be a witness of his final moments pure chance if we do not believe in providence i returned he surveyed me quite intently relate what passed now here was a dilemma did my duty exact a revelation of the facts which i had hitherto felt obliged to keep even from the deceased man's sons it was a question not to be decided in a moment, so I made up my mind to be guided by developments, and confined to my narration to a recapitulation of my former plain account of Mr. Gillespie's last moments. This narrative I made as simple as I could. When I had finished, he asked if Mr. Gillespie's grandchild had been present at the moment her grandfather expired. I answered that she had been clinging to him all the time he remained erect, but shrank back and ran out of the room the moment he gave signs of falling to the floor. Did he speak to her? Not that I heard. Did he say anything? A few inarticulate words, no names. He did not ask for his sons? No. For none of them? No. How came the alarm to be spread? I went up with a child and called the young men down. Coroner Frisbee stroked his chin, still looking at me intently. Was there an empty file or a piece of paper lying about on the study table or on the floor when you went in? I started. Paper? I repeated. What kind of paper? Such as is used by druggists and physicians in rolling up their prescriptions. The prussic acid which Mr. Gillespie has evidently taken must have been bought in liquid form. The bottle which held it should be lying about, and possibly the paper in which it was wrapped. That is, if this poison was swallowed intentionally by Mr. Gillespie. I recalled the exact look of the scrap of paper I had put into an envelope at this gentleman's request. It was not such a one as is used by druggists in wrapping up parcels, and I felt my breast grow lighter by a degree. I did not see any such paper. Where is this little girl? he now queried. I must see her. I had made up my mind to one thing. If the child said that I had been given a paper by her grandfather, I would acknowledge it and produce the envelope. But if she had forgotten the fact, or had been too frightened to notice it, I would preserve silence in regard to it a little longer, in the hope of being shown a way out of my difficulty. I was therefore not sorry to hear him ask for the little girl. I take it that you are not anxious to remain here, he now remarked. If you will give me your address and hold yourself in readiness to obey my summons, I can excuse you for the night. For answer, I held out my card, and seeing that I had no further excuse for lingering, was moving toward the door, when Dr. Bennett came hurriedly in. I have found something, he began and then paused with a quick glance in my direction, as if questioning the propriety of proceeding further with his discovery in my presence. The coroner showed no such hesitation. 
hastening to meet the old family physician, he said, "'You have found the bottle, or only the paper in which the bottle was wrapped?' Dr. Bennett drew him aside, and I saw what looked like a small cork pass between them. "'Was it in Mr. Gillespie's study you found this?' queried the coroner. "'I thought I had thoroughly searched the study.' The answer was uttered in the lowest of tones, but I had no difficulty in catching the gist of what he said. It was on the dining-room floor under the edge of the rug. A very suspicious fact, don't you think so? Mr. Gillespie would never have thrust it there. Some other person, don't know who, not saying anything yet, shrink from seeing the police in this house. The two doctors interchanged a look which I surprised in the large mirror opposite, but I gave no sign of having seen anything extraordinary. I felt too keenly the delicacy of my own position. Next minute we were all walking towards the hall. Silence came in admonitory tones from the coroner as we paused for a moment on the threshold. Let us not disturb the young men any further than is necessary tonight. At that moment we heard the cry, Where is Miss Meredith? Has anyone seen Miss Meredith? I cannot find her in any of the rooms upstairs. Hope! Hope! Where are you, Hope? called out another voice charged with feeling hope did my heart beat faster as this name destined to play such a part in my future life was sounded in my ears i cannot say that heart has beat often enough since at the utterance of this sweet monosyllable but at that time well i think i was too interested in the alarm which this cry instantly raised to note my personal sensations from one end of the house to the other men and women rushed from room to room and i heard not only this name called out but that of the child which it seems was claire cannot the child be found either i inquired impetuously of the coroner who still lingered in the lower hall it seems not who is miss meredith it was the old butler who answered him she is the young gentleman's cousin said he she was a great favorite with mr gillespie and lived here like a daughter they will find her somewhere upstairs. But the prophecy proved to be a false one. Slowly the servants came creeping down, whispering among themselves, and looking very much frightened. Then we saw George descend, shaking his head impatiently, and then Leighton, wild with an anxiety for which he had no name. She must be here, he cried, thinking only of his child. Claire! Claire! and he began running through the great drawing-room where he knew she could not be. Alfred had remained above. Suddenly I recalled a fact connected with my own visit upstairs. "'Have they been up to the fourth floor?' I inquired of Dr. Bennett. When I was in Mr. Alfred Gillespie's room on the third floor, I remember hearing someone rush through the hall. I supposed at that time it was someone going below, but it may have been someone going higher up. Let us go see, the doctor suggested. I followed him without a thought. As we passed Alfred's door, we could see him standing in the middle of the room in a state of rage which made him oblivious of our approach. He was tearing into morsels a piece of paper which had the same appearance as the one he had formerly thrust into the waste-paper basket, and as he tore, he muttered words amongst which I caught the following. Why should I write? If she loved me, she would wait. 
she would not run away now unless he dr bennett with his finger on his lip slid by i hastened after him and together we mounted the last flight we were now in a portion of the building as new to the doctor as to myself when we reached the top of the stairs we found the whole place dark save for a little glimmer towards the front which proved to be a gas-jet burning low in one of the attic rooms turning this up we looked around opened a closet door or two then walked into the back where the doctor struck a match two closed doors met our eyes one of these upon being opened disclosed a well-furnished room similar in appearance to those in front the other an unfinished garret half filled with trunks and boxes well he ejaculated as the match went out upon this scene this is a mystery hark i urged our ears rather than our eyes must do service in this emergency he took the hint and together we listened till some sound was it the breathing of a person concealed near us caused us both to start and the doctor to light another match this time we saw something but the match went out before we could determine what annoyed by these momentary flashes of light i dashed back into one of the rooms we had left and catching up a candle i had previously noted there lit it at the gas-jet and proceeded back with it to this garret room instantly a sight full of the strangest interest revealed itself crouched against the farther wall with wide extended eyes fixed full upon us we perceived a woman upon whose pallid face and risen locks terror or some other equally emphatic passion had so fixed its impress that she looked like some affrighted creature balked in flight by some dreadful some unprecedented sight which held her spellbound that she was beautiful in that touching feminine way which goes to the heart did not lessen the effect of her appearance nor were we unmoved by the fact that the child for whom the house had just been ransacked lay curled up and asleep at her feet who is it i asked miss meredith the doctor pressed my hand we must be careful he whispered she seems on the verge of delirium the child shows no fear i murmured meanwhile the doctor was approaching the new object of his care why choose so cold a place he asked smiling on the young girl who still clung as if fastened to the wall against which she had drawn herself claire will catch cold had you not better come downstairs with a start she looked down at the little one resting at her feet and her eyes showed a sudden intelligence how did she come here she asked i did not call her and how came you to be here he smiled your white dress looks out of place in this garret she lifted herself straight up with her back to the wall claire who was thus dislodged from the place at her feet woke and began to cry i heard that mr gillespie was dead came from lips so stiff with fright or some other emotion that i wondered they could form the words i loved mr gillespie and i brought my grief here she was still standing pressed against the wall her hands behind her and disguise the fact as i would i could see that her teeth were chattering with something more than cold or even such fear as might follow the sudden death of a near friend and benefactor will you not come below urged the doctor taking up claire to his fatherly breast never her lips seemed to cry 
but I heard no sound, and when the doctor, giving me the child, threw his arm about her and drew her away, she yielded pliantly enough though with a steady look into his face I did not understand then, nor for a long time afterwards. At the stairhead we met Alfred. Perhaps he had heard us go up. Perhaps he had simply thought of searching the attic himself. His recoil and the exclamation he made were simultaneous. "'You have found her!' was his cry, a cry which did not refer to the child. Then, in reproachful tones, hope why should you give us such a scare had we not enough to face without having our hearts wrung with terror for you her answer was a murmur with the first moment of encounter with this man her face had become a mask End of chapter three